Hello everybody, welcome to episode 12 of Kane Chats. My name is Eric Mojica, your host for the show. So today our guest is Travis Barrett. He's a strength conditioning coach based out of Lawrence, Kansas, and he works at a gym called Evolution Athletics. And so what, what he does basically is works with a lot of athletes, specifically um, a lot of younger high school age kids, and he just kind of goes into this episode talking about what he does, how he starts off with assessments, you know, checking uh, what they do well, what they don't do well. And in this episode, we actually get into a topic that he's really passionate about, and that is the term behind sports-specific exercise. And so a lot of times, coaches tend to overthink the term sports-specific movements. And so um, he kind of gave an example about a golfer who came to Travis and basically just asked him, hey, I want to improve my swing. What exercises do I need? And so um, it's such a subjective kind of question because, well, you can benefit from so many different things. You can benefit from basic isometric core strengthening exercises. You can improve your range of motion in your thoracic spine by going through a lot of mobility exercises. And so um, maybe even strength training, even doing some squats, deadlifts, things like that can improve your performance. So um, he kind of goes into that and how, you know, mimicking sports specific movements doesn't exactly mean that it's going to translate to sports performance. Um, overall, what's important is understanding where this athlete is at, how are they moving, how well or inefficient are they moving, and then how can we get them to get stronger through a range of motion. On another note, last week Abilene University hosted the NSCA Missouri State Clinic, and I've been meaning to make a video to talk about the presenters that spoke at the event, and so look out for that next week. But um, we had a lot of great presenters that talked about tactical strength and conditioning, we talked about anaerobic and aerobic conditioning. Um, we had the strength coach from Sporting KC. We also had, uh, let's see, Dr. Larson presented talking about the kettlebell swing and a couple other topics in regards to strength training. And there was a lot of fun uh, at the end of the event doing some interactive stuff with Corey Van Wick and Dane Bartz. We did some speed and agility training as well as some recovery uh, modalities. And so Look out for that video next week. I will have that available, so make sure you're tuned into that. It'll be available on YouTube, and make sure to check out the videos on Facebook and Instagram, as well as our website at knchatspodcast.wordpress.com. So with all that said, here's episode 12 of Can Chats. This episode begins right now. All right, so today our guest is Travis Barrett. He is a strength conditioning coach based out of Lawrence, Kansas. Travis, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me today, Eric. Appreciate it. Right on, man. So I uh, wanted to just let you start off talking about yourself. Tell us uh, where you studied, some internships, your working experience. Tell us uh, all about yourself. All right. Um, well, I got my undergraduate degree from uh, Ball State University uh, with a, master, or with a uh, bachelor's in exercise science. Um, interned at the Ball State weight room under Coach Jason Roberson. And uh, when I was finishing up my undergrad, I interned with the Indiana Pacers under coach Sean Wendell. And uh, then after that, I went to get my master's in applied sports science from Indiana University. And towards the last part of my uh, master's degree, I went to University of Wisconsin Lacrosse and was basically a graduate assistant under coach Kevin Schultz. So that's kind of my, my formal education, um, along with some internships. And then what brought me to Kansas was uh, first year out of or first first job I had out of school was at Haskell Indian Nations University. 
So I was their strength and conditioning coach for two years. And then uh, at the expiration of that, that contract, I uh, moved over to the private sector and have been over here ever since. Okay, awesome. And so you work at Evolution Athletics. So tell us about that place. What you guys yeah, doing? yeah. So um, after uh, my time was up at Haskell, um, when I moved to the private side, I met another personal trainer uh, named Tyler Naylor, and uh, he shared my passion for uh, sports performance. And we've been we've been talking a little bit over the years about you know starting starting a sports performance business and. Um, Anyway, we we finally sat down one day and said, "Hey, let's let's get something going." So, we started Evolution Athletics together in uh, 2017. I think it's April of 2017, and uh, you know, it's it's just blown up much faster than we anticipated. So, everything's going well. We currently work with right around 85 to 90 athletes, and um, everybody from age 11 to a few professional athletes. So, okay, and so. What is sports performance? Because that term gets thrown around a lot, right? And we yeah. So how do you define sports performance and what does that mean to you? Yeah, sports performance to me is basically the most important thing that an athlete is going to do is play their sport. So in my mind, anything that is going to enhance that athlete's performance on the field. So, you know, it can be everything from nutrition, recovery, training in the weight room, sports psychology. All of that, in my mind, is going to play into sport performance and basically how you define it. Now, there's you know, a certain number of principles that I think everybody should adhere to when developing an athlete in the weight room, and, but there's a, a ton of methods you can go about developing an athlete. So um, that's kind of my, how I think about it. Okay, and so when you got a new athlete, um, how, do, how do you start that process with them? Do you start with some assessments? Are you looking at movement screens? How do you start that off? Yeah, what we do is we have just a modified version of the FMS. So there's the first thing we do, um, and I can run through all that if you want, but um, first thing we do is just a spinal flexion extension. And if they have pain with that, then there's no sense in going on. You know, we'll, we'll just stop the assessment right there and refer them out to a physical therapist that we work with in the area. Um, from there, uh, we'll do a Faber test. Um, we'll do some shoulder mobility, hamstring flexibility, uh, T-spine extension, rotation. And then um, from there, we'll, that, so that's all of our mobility tests that we do. And then from there with our strength work, a lot of kids that we work with are junior high, high school, and they do not move well. So um, it's not going to make a ton of sense to us to you know, max them out on day one. I don't understand why people want to get those numbers right away when their movement patterns are poor. So we'll do a basic, you know, let's see if they can even do a push-up and a chin-up max, max reps. If they can do that, great. Oftentimes, most of them cannot perform a you know, strict chin-up well. Um, most of them are going to fizzle out with less than 10 push-ups. And a lower body assessment, I mean, we can get an idea from just watching them lunge and do a body weight squat and trying to teach them good movement patterns within the assessment. Um, and then in our, in our power, power assessment, we do a counter movement and a non-counter movement jump off the just jump mat we use. And that allows us to quickly get, get some baseline numbers there. And the way we look at it, it's safe. Um, you know, cause I look at everything having a risk reward ratio. So if a max out on a squat is not necessarily going to be safe, 
on day one, in my opinion. So whereas a body weight jump is not, you know, that has a much lower risk to it. But anyway, um, that's our strength power work we'll do. And then uh, our speed and agility work we'll do is like we'll do a uh, 5-10-5 or pro shuttle. Uh, we'll do a 10-yard sprint. And then we'll do 300-yard shuttle on a repeat. So that'll just give us some good baseline. So basically every athlete that comes through our doors, that's the very first thing they do is they run through that assessment with one of our coaches. Okay. And so for the athlete who, you know, wants to just get after it, day one comes into your place, how do you justify how all these different things, trans? how do they translate to performance? Yeah, the, the number one thing is we want pain-free range of motion. So... Oftentimes what they think they can do, you know, I don't know how many 500 pound squatters I've met in my life that are under the age of 18, but the number's high, you know, they all claim they can squat 500 pounds and like, <laughs> yeah, man, that was a great quarter squat you just did, but I'm interested in, can you do a full range of motion squat? Can you do a, you know, a deadlift without pain? So fortunately we've worked with enough athletes at this point where we can just say, well, look where this athlete is at. You know, they didn't start out day one doing this it's important for us to communicate to the athletes and say look this is a skill just like anything else you didn't do whatever you're doing in your sport and do it well on day one so when we talk to them and let them know you know this is a process it's going to take a while you just need to trust the process you know sounds so cliche but you really do keep coming back to that if you trust our process you will make the necessary progress so that's that's the big thing is it does come down to communication and trust with us so mm-hmm. all right and i want to ask you about your experiences and how you can compare working with collegiate professional athletes and then now more in the setting where you're at what's the biggest difference as far as how do you approach all this you know basically what you're selling to them right like we need to start with these basic fundamental movements and how what's the biggest difference between the two yeah, um, so I'd say the biggest difference on the private side is is they're paying. So, um, you know, in, in the college setting at times I do miss it because, you know, you have a little bit more leverage there. You can say, well, if if you don't want to do what, what I'm telling you to do, fine, I'll, I'll talk to the sport coach and then you, he'll determine what's the appropriate action from there. Uh-huh. So they're kind of, college athletes are kind of in a situation where they have to. Um, the, the private sector is a little different because you're basically selling to them. We're going to set you up for hopefully give you a better chance of getting a college scholarship and saving you money over the long run. So um, as far as the specifics of how they move and what they do, in my, in my opinion, they're not that different. The workload and the complexity of the movement is just slightly varied. And as far as the professionals go, um, you know, when I was with the Pacers, the the policy they had at the time was, in season, you had to get 10 lifts in per month. Um, now, I don't know how that's changed since I've been there, but um, I would expect it's probably something very similar. Um, and the other teams, I don't know what the other teams do, but um, the, the teams ultimately view those athletes as you are an investment. So the number one rule is like, just like with anybody, is like, don't get them hurt. You know, make sure whatever you do is safe and not going to detract from their performance. So when they're when the season's over, like the Pacers season just ended yesterday. So those guys are gonna go out to LA, New York, Chicago, Miami, wherever, and 
Coach Wendell is awesome. I mean, that guy does a phenomenal job about um, sending workouts with his guys and trying to develop good relationships and communicate with the trainers that they're going to be working with and the coaches they're going to be working with. So um, rather not, they actually do it. You know, you ultimately <laughs> don't know, but um, Coach Wendell is, you know, one of the best in my opinion. And uh, that, that's really what it comes down to is, you know, the, the adherence, you always hope the adherence is high, but um, they're all doing the same movement patterns. Um, they're just doing different variations, different intensities, and um, they're at different points in their careers. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so at your facility, um, how, does it, how does the whole process work when you're working with a high school athlete? Say you give them workouts, are you having to communicate with their strength coaches at their high schools, if they even have one, or how, how do you go about programming and then trying to set them up so that way? Because I'm assuming that uh, you know, they need to be working multiple days per week, and if they're not with you, then you have to provide something for them. So how do you go about all that communication there? Yeah, so the biggest thing we do is um, if they have to take weights at school, um, we just tell them, hey, you know, go as light as you can at school to pass your class, you know, and then it's more of like come in and lift heavy with us because the numbers are just better with us. So, for example, Free State High School, they have 40 kids in their weight training class and like one coach, you know, so that one coach is at such a disadvantage. So, where in our facility, I mean, we might have 40 kids in there at once, but there's going to be three coaches that are active, and there's only going to be 15 or 20 that are over in the weight room. So um, it really does come down to communication, letting the athletes know, hey, here's what you need to do with us, and if you have to take this class, go light, take it easy, use it as more of a recovery day. Um, so that's that's kind of how we go about developing their programs, and uh, I can't remember the second part you there's a second question you asked in there. I felt like I didn't answer. Um, oh, you got it for the most part. All right, all right. Yeah. So uh, with programming, how do you guys uh, set up your programs? Like, do you have a specific template that you send out to your athletes? Do you have a, any computer software or anything like that? Yeah, we were, we were talking with a coach the other day who was uh, suggesting push press and train heroic. He said it's, it's great for um, developing programs and kind of giving you a a platform to use. I haven't played around with it yet, but as far as the specific methods we use, um, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of block periodization. So I think ultimately you can use many forms. It just comes down to you need to go through some level of accumulation. You need to go through some level of strength, and then you, you can peak if you're in season or if you're interested in testing your numbers. But that's basically what we operate off of is um, block periodization model with percentages is more, I think percentage-based training is, is great, but um, we use percentages as a skeleton, as an outline. You know, you sh hopefully you can hit 80% for five, but depending on what's going on in your life and 100 other variables, you may not be able to hit 80% that day. So we do our best to communicate to athletes and say, hey, we're also going to use something called rate of perceived exertion. And it's a way for you to auto-regulate your weights. Now, that does not mean you don't come in and you don't work hard. You always work hard. But, you know, if you just broke up with your girlfriend yesterday and you had a test and you slept one hour, then we can have a pretty good idea that your, your uh, two or three rep max, whatever we're going to do, is this is not going to perform well. So we're basically going to adjust for them. So the, the best summary I can provide to say, Hey, we're just, we're fatigue managers more than anything. 
and and we'll make the adjustments for you if we need to. Yeah. And uh, it's interesting that you brought that up, the whole rate of perceived exertion, because we had the NSCA conference uh, down the street here at Avila uh, about a week ago, and I asked some of those strength coaches a question about when you're working with youth, so we're talking about high school, maybe a little bit younger, mm-hmm. how do you rely on that, on the accuracy and the precision of the RPE? Because mm-hmm. you have kids, they might not understand what they're 1 to 10. Is. That's right. How do you go about that? That is an excellent point. Um, you know, the the best way is, you know, if we could hook them up to a Tendo unit or we could use a ProForm or something like that where we could actually measure bar speed because I think that would be an even more accurate way to measure it. But, um, yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. These kids don't have any perception of what a strain is or even though they might be making a face, I mean, the bar speed is going quickly, you know, which is such a subjective measure. But that's part of the reason why we have the coaches in there, including myself is, you know, we'll watch a kid do a set and we'll ask them, we'll say, well, what was that? And they'll say an eight. It's like, no way, man, your, your bar speed's too fast. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's just one of those things over time, the auto regulation becomes more accurate, but, uh, for the time being, you just have to continue to be in front of the kids and talk with them and communicate with them and say, Hey, here's, here's what a true, eight or nine RPE feels like, you know, like you can't do another rep or you have one left in the tank. You know, we just educate and communicate. I feel like our biggest, our strongest points. Is there a certain time frame that they train with you guys that they kind of start to maybe show signs of understanding what that eight, nine or 10 feels like? I'm just saying six months. Is it a year? Like, I know it's pretty subjective. Yeah, that's, that's a good, that's a really good question. Um, Probably a year in, you know, but, but some of them, it, it kind of depends on how committed they are and how dialed in they are to the training program. Because, I mean, some kids, unfortunately, the parents bring some kids in and say, well, we just want them to, we know they're not going to be an athlete. We just want them to be healthy. Can you teach them how to exercise safely? So those kids aren't as committed as, you know, some of our kids who are going on to play Division One. So the kids who are going on to to play D1, they they are for sure going to pay attention and listen and ask good questions and things like that. But yeah, probably a year is probably our average. Mm-hmm. Okay, awesome. And so just wanted to go into a little more about just lifting overall. What are some of your favorite exercises and why? Yeah, I've, I've always been a fan of uh, the Olympic lifts. So hang snatch, um, cleans, and actually doing cleans from the floor. I know, I know that gets butchered all the time. People say like, Hey, I love power cleans and then they'll do them from the hang or whatever. But, yeah. uh, hang, hang snatches and the cleans are, you know, what I'm partial to deadlift is another one of my favorites. Um, I think they're good indicators of overall balance and speed, strength, power production as well. So, um, those are my favorites, my personal ones. Mm-hmm. And so what's your take on, cause I've been, I just follow a lot because I was a baseball player and so, mm-hmm. I know that certain Olympic lifts are starting to get kind of not like turned down, but it's just like right. auto thought about differently just because of some of the overhead movements or like doing a power clean and having to catch all that can put a lot of valgus force on the elbow. So mm-hmm. um, what's your take on that? How do you look at that from the standpoint of the specific sport that this athlete is playing? How do you, do you, do you think about that at all? Like, Oh yeah. What's your take on that with Olympic lifting? For sure. Um, so when I was at Wisconsin lacrosse, 
there's a guy named uh, Dr. Tim Suchimal that was going through his, I believe it was his master's work at the time, but um, he was starting to get into um, variations of Olympic lifts. And he started researching that more and more, and I think that's the bulk of his work now. And, uh, you know, Tim is excellent as far as like, hey, what's going to happen from a power production standpoint? Can we still get all the benefits of, you know, triple extension that everybody loves without the catch? And, you know, the answer is absolutely. So, you know, we'll, we'll go off the pins. So, for example, we'll do uh, a block clean high pull off from mid-thigh using 120% of their uh, best clean. So that's, that's a variation of something we'll do in season. So we'll go different heights. We'll still get the elbows coming up high just without the turnover. And we'll still get the extension of the hips, which is ultimately what we want. Now, I don't think the Olympic lifts, especially when, when taught correctly, are detrimental or bad or going to hurt you at all. But you always have to think about things with the risk-reward ratio. You know, if, if I'm training a baseball player, like we've got a kid right now who's committed to go to Nebraska, the last thing I want to do is have him do a clean and break his wrist or you know, catch it on the collarbone, break a collarbone, whatever. Um, so we'll just have him do a hang-high pull. So... I think there's lots of ways where you can train around and train without having the risk of um, them getting injured, where you can bring that bring that down quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And so, I'm assuming that you know you have you can have more confidence having somebody do some overhead movements if they've gone through, like let's say a movement screen, and you know that their range of motion to get overhead is pretty good. Then it's probably a safer bet. But then again, it just varies from athlete to athlete, right? That's right. I mean, a lot of it, like you look at the restrictions and you say, well, why, if, if they can't go overhead, for example, you say, well, why can't they go overhead? Is it, is it pain or is it, are they, do they lack mobility? Do they lack flexibility? What's the problem here? And I think what's so funny is, uh, I was, I saw, I was listening to a podcast recently with the strength coach and he said, this makes no sense. We assess the overhead squat, which I forgot to mention that we do that as well. We assess the overhead squat and then we don't train the the overhead squat at all so it's like what's the point here and i thought that was a great a great point he brought up you know it's like people use it to say yeah you're crappy at this and then not do anything to enhance it or make it better um so i think that's one thing we're going to start doing more of with our athletes is making sure all of our athletes can overhead squat making sure they can eccentrically control a, a hang snatch or a hang power snatch on the way down rather than just dropping it so yeah, absolutely. And that's something that uh, our strength coach at Avila, Coach C, um, he would always start us off, you know, whenever our blocks would come through of getting close to doing snatches and things like that, we would do overhead squat for a couple weeks. And so we had to make sure that we had a good overhead squat and we were stable and we were getting stronger in that position before we wanted to add speed and then, you know, going through those Olympic movements overhead. So, right. Yeah. And so uh, you said that the deadlift, why the deadlift? Um, man, it was just one of my favorite. It's always been one of my favorites, but um, I think it's a great overall assessment for where you're currently at. Because, I mean, you can, you can BS a lot of, a lot of movements. Um, like you could, for example, if you're doing a bench press, you could bounce that thing off your chest. You could get your hips coming off the bench. I mean, you can kind of not cheat your way through it, but it's just mechanics. Find some advantages right. to get around it. Right. So, like, with a deadlift, 
I think there's a lot of things that, that go on in this world that are, are bullshit and that you can fake and all that. But the deadlift, you can either do it or you can't, you know, like that's ultimately what it comes down to. So, um, and it gives you a good indicator of like, um, no, not always, you know, there's very few absolutes in the world of strength and conditioning, but, um, it's a good indicator of, is your program headed in the right direction? Mm-hmm. You know? So, yeah. And so, um, what are the, do you, how do you go about training a novice athlete to deadlift? Because the deadlift, I think to me, still seems like a, like a scary thing for a novice, like to have to lift the weight off the ground and their back positioning and stuff. So how right. do you start off teaching a novice athlete how to deadlift? Yeah, it really depends on their ability. Because um, there's, there's some kids that will come through the door and they just understand everything that we're asking right away. And, you know, we can progress from using a PVC pipe and maintaining those three points of contact to a kettlebell, to a trap bar, to a, you know, an elevated straight bar or whatever. Um, it, it really just does depend on which athlete we're working with. But um, that's the progression we would follow if, if everybody fell in that absolute beginner, they didn't understand anything, as we could just take a PVC pipe, have them maintain points of contact at head, upper back, tailbone, hinge back. Okay, you can do that. Let's move on to a kettlebell deadlift. Let's move on to lowering that position each time. So um, I really think it does just depend on, you know, how willing are you to invest the time into teaching the athletes how to do things correctly and, you know, just making sure that those early reps, you're right there each and every time, which is much easier at the, at the private, with the private sector as opposed to, you know, when you're in the college setting. So mm-hmm. I think the biggest thing is making sure whatever setting you're in, you're, you're making it as idiot proof as possible as as safe as possible and then also looking at well what's the benefit for the athlete um you know what what can somebody screw up if they can screw up anything what are they going to so this episode of k and chats is brought to you by all-star chiropractic dr casey berry is a chiropractor located in south kansas city providing chiropractic adjustments using a holistic approach to promote self-healing through the power of chiropractic the power that made the body heals the body. For more information, visit www.allstarchiropractickc.com or call the office at 816-942-6066. That's 816-942-6066. All Star Chiropractic. And now back to the featured Kay and Chad's podcast. All right, and we're back. So, Travis, I wanted you to dive into a little topic that we got into before we started this and talking about sports specificity. So tell us uh, what you think about all that. Yeah, I think it. All right. Um, Yeah, I think it certainly has its place. Um, But I think people uh, are are basically getting the order wrong. You know, they hear these marketing terms and, and terms thrown around that they don't quite understand. And one of them that I've heard so much as of late is sports specificity. So I'll have, for example, a golfer come in and say, like, I want to get, I want to do more exercises that are more specific to my sport. Like, okay, like what exercises are those? And and they don't know because they've just heard the marketing term or they've, or like a basketball player comes in and the first thing they say is, well, I want to do exercises that are specific to my sport. I want to be able to jump higher and run faster. I'm like, well, yeah, every athlete wants to do that, but um you know people just butcher this stuff and and the general public and these general athletes don't know what they're being told but i don't think athletes necessarily need 
specific exercises until they're at an elite level. You know, like if you're looking at the research from Anatoly Bondarchuk when he has volumes one and two of transfer of training, obviously those make have tremendous value, but those are more reserved for and appropriate for athletes at a higher level. I think especially novice athletes need more of a really, really good baseline before they move into these advanced exercises. For example, you know, I'll, I'll see, like I, I went on a, a brief rant the other day online because I saw this, uh, this coach having someone do something that's completely unnecessary. They have them in a bird dog position, balancing. <laughs> they're in a bird dog position with their left hand balanced on a medicine ball while doing a dumbbell row. Like that is way too much crap going on. Why don't you just give them a stable base and lift heavier through a complete range of motion? Like it really is that simple. Like go through a complete range of motion, make sure you're pain free and at progressively overload the body over time, increasing complexity gradually over time. But what happens is the inverse is people want to introduce the most complex thing first because it's sexy and it gets views and likes and all that crap. And they want to act like they're that makes them a good coach. And oftentimes it's like, no, that stuff needs to come very last. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And, and what I think about that is two things. Like I think over one, where we live at today, social media, that's huge. Mm-hmm. We want to have all these cool exercises and cool equipment and stuff like that. But I think another part of it too, is that some coaches, they want to impress the athlete with like yeah. all, all these really awesome crazy hard to do exercises and while there may be some benefit to doing certain things like that like having a balance on you know a ball or things like that um for me and and i've got i've been fortunate to learn from a lot of great strength coaches that you know going back to the basics the fundamentals of movement Mm -hmm. understanding you know just how to move the body well and then just simply progressing step by step Um, i think that's the best way to you know work with an athlete so yeah, because, man, it just it just kills me because I, I see this stuff all the time. And um, I think you're absolutely right when you say people want to impress the athletes. It's like, you know what's impressive is when I see Lasha, you know, clean and jerking 260, like from last week or whatever. That's freaking awesome. I think that's more impressive than trying to balance. And, like, you can you can argue exercises all day long and say each one has its merit, but I also think we should look at what is going to have the best return on your time and what's going to have the best return on your time for the athlete. You know, if I only have 30 minutes with a kid, I'm going to make sure that we go through a dynamic warm up and then we do our core lift, our primary lift for the day, as opposed to that balancing crap or whatever. Yeah. That reminds me, I think it was like last week, there's a video of Alvin Kamara. Uh, he was like balancing on a, I think it was like a BOSU ball or something. And they were like, throwing <laughs> these, I saw like, that colors on it. <laughs> Like, I thought that was pretty cool, and, and I like the the whole, like, having to call the color and having to catch mm-hmm. it, but I think there's probably some safer ways to do stuff like yes. that, but it is pretty cool. I mean, I, I think I liked it on Instagram <laughs> before I saw it, <laughs> but um, so uh, what are your thoughts on social media then, kind of talking about this, and like, as far as, because I'm big on following stuff on Twitter, I follow a lot of strength coaches. Yeah, um, Instagram, Facebook. So, what are your thoughts on all that? Well, um, I'll say the good and the bad in one sentence. Everybody now has a microphone, so as a result, p- 
people who don't take a step don't take a step back and analyze things and look at things are just going to say, hey, whatever I see is good. And what you should do is, you know, ask yourself some basic questions. Is this safe? Is this going to benefit myself or the athlete? Is this a good idea? You know, like so many people just jump in and rather than look at things objectively and with logic, they'll just say, ah, that looks cool. Let's try that. So social's good and bad. You know, we're getting, we're getting more information than ever is available. But the bad is also that there's more idiots out there with a microphone than ever. And so the barrier of entry is very low. So, um, you know, just, just be smart about what you're seeing on social. Yeah. So what advice would you give to young athletes who follow a lot of pages? Um, you know, how, how, how would you tell them to critique or question, you know, certain coaches that or certain videos that they see online? Yeah, I, I think that's a good question because, you know, you should – Understanding how to decipher what's good and bad is is a difficult thing to do, especially as a young athlete, you know. So um, one thing I I would say is check against three to five accounts that are saying the same thing. So if you're going to search strength coaches on Instagram, well, maybe don't take the very first strength coach you see or person claiming to be a strength coach. Like, let's look at three to five with very different backgrounds. And see if they're saying the same core principles. If they're all saying squat through a full range of motion, you know, that doesn't necessarily make it a good idea, but it's a good indicator. Um, and then, you know, kids don't want to read, don't want to read textbooks, textbooks and research and all that stuff. They want to see what's cool. But um, I think there's some excellent coaches that are out there that are making it simple for athletes to digest very complex information. So, um, I think it, it's just one of those things where you have to look at a lot of people, listen to that, what they're saying, read what they're saying, and then decide for yourself, is this good or is this bad? Yeah. yeah. And uh, just to add on to that, I would say just what I like to do is surround yourself with a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Surround yourself with a lot of great coaches, uh, even strength coaches, even sports coaches, yeah. athletes who are in college who play pro. I mean, you can take everything with a grain of salt and, you know, kind of pick and choose, okay, what do I think is going to be best for me? And so the more that you're, you're willing to go out and seek help from other people, you're going to be able to, like I said, decipher what that best information is going to be. That's right, man. I, I agree 100%. Ask good questions, you know, and don't, don't be intimidated by anybody. Just go out and say, hey, I'm, I'm trying to learn. Can you teach me X? I think mm-hmm. that's absolutely valuable. Yeah. And for any athletes listening to the show, like I know so many great coaches that they would love to answer your questions. Mm-hmm. Travis, you come to me. I'd love to tell you about whatever video you saw on Instagram and give you my thoughts. Um, I just think that's something that's really, really great about training conditioning. A lot of great coaches out there. So yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. All right, Travis. Well, uh, want to wrap it up soon. Uh, I want to ask you about your favorite moments as a strength conditioning coach. Any cool moments any athletes that you got to work with any coaches that influence you yeah man um favorite moments you know there's there's a lot of them over the years but um the ones that that stick out to me are the one the athletes who realized that i didn't realize at the time the impact i was having on on certain athletes you know like i will i'll get dms or sometimes i'll get cards in the mail from from former athletes I, i totally forgot about 
it's been years since we talked and they'll say, Hey, I, I, you, I'm sure you didn't realize this, but you had this impact on me. So for example, when I was leaving, uh, Wisconsin lacrosse, I was working with women's basketball and they gave me a handwritten card just said, thanks for everything. And then it had like a, uh, the whole team signed it or whatever. So that, I think I still have that card somewhere over here in a box, but, um, then we had a swimmer recently finish up at, uh, New Mexico state. Uh, she, she wrote me a, a nice card and said, thanks for everything. I really appreciate it. Um, it's just, it's stuff like that. Um, there's another couple coaches when I, you know, working at Haskell, um, these athletes are now living in New Mexico or Arizona and they're, they saw what I was doing and they thought it was cool. So they started looking into it a little bit more and they'll still shoot me questions and comment on things. And I'm more than happy and to interact with them. But as far as, uh, as far as coaches who influence me, you know, I've, I've noticed the same thing you were, you were alluding to earlier, just about how there's a lot of great people in this field. You just have to be willing to reach out and ask questions. So, um, I've been really fortunate. I've only had a few bad experiences and, you know, I, I removed myself from those pretty quick, but, um, for example, coach Jason Roberson was the first one who taught me anything, um, at ball. He's still at ball state university. Um, assistant coach Mandy Harrison is awesome. Um, Dr. Andy Galpin was actually doing his PhD work when I was an undergrad at ball state and Andy's been awesome. You know, I've reached out to him a couple times throughout the years and, um, coach Kevin Schultz, coach Sean Wendell, I mean, there's so many that that have taken the time. Like that's, and one moment now that now that I'm talking about this, one moment that sticks out more than anything was, um, so when I was at Ball State, um, we had a, a first crew went up to uh, University of Michigan, and and met University of Michigan strength staff, and I couldn't go, so I went. I was able to go like six months later, but I was able to go by myself. So I go up to University of Michigan for the weekend. And like the coaches, like we email back and forth, they know I'm coming and I'm just in their weight room for a whole weekend, basically. Well, the director, and I think he's still there, his name's Mike Favor. So he's the head of Olympic sports. He goes, he called me and he's like, hey, come with me. And we go up to his office and he shuts the door and he, he's like, you want anything to drink? Like, yeah, I'll, I'll take a Diet Coke or whatever. He's like, cool. Well, I blocked off 30 minutes. What questions do you have? And like, that was just such a whoa kind of moment because here's the, here's a guy who's the director of Olympic sports at university of Michigan. I'm sure he has way more important stuff to do than block off 30 minutes to talk to me. And he took the time to answer anything I had. And that, you know, that just was a lot to take in for me. Cause I, I wasn't expecting that. So I'm like, yeah. oh, okay, where do I start, man? But uh, that's the kind of people you run into in strength and conditioning, people that care about the next next wave coming up and they want to help you and want to help you develop. So um, that's probably the best moment I've had. Yeah, that's awesome. And that's how I feel about all the guests on, on this show, you know, getting to talk to strength coaches like yourself and chiropractors you. and physical therapists. It's just it's great to be, um, you know, surrounded by so many people that that have so much knowledge and experience and so. I really appreciate you taking the time to do the show for us, Travis. Yeah, definitely. I'm happy to be on. So thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks, man. So uh, really quick, contact information. Uh, tell us about also where your gym is located and how can people reach out to you? Okay. Um, we're probably most active on Instagram. And our username on there is uh, Evolution Athletics and then the number one. 
Uh, you can also email us, coach at evolutionathletics.net. Uh, we're on Twitter at Coach Evo, E-V-O, and uh, Facebook, Evolution Athletics, and then number one. Um, but uh, we are located at 1811 West 31st Street, Suite B in Lawrence, Kansas. And I think that's all of our contact info. Yeah. All right. Well, once again, Travis, thank you so much. Thank you for your time. And uh, I'll be in touch with you, man. Thank you. All right. Thanks a lot, Eric. Appreciate it. All right. Have a good one. And that concludes our interview with Travis Barrett. If you'd like to contact Travis or any of the coaches at Evolution Athletics, you can find their contact information listed in the show notes down below. And so to wrap up the show, about 15 minutes ago before recording this, I saw a video of Michael Boyle on Instagram, and he was talking about periodization strategies for training younger athletes. And here's a clip on what he talked about. So I wrote an article yesterday uh, for my strengthcoach.com site on periodization, basically asking is periodization and strength and conditioning's biggest time waster. I think what we do a lot as coaches is we do things more for ourselves. Well, I'm very fond of saying, you know, it's not about what you like, it's not about you. But I think a lot of the time, whether it's changing exercises, whether it's thinking about a different periodization scheme, it ends up being very much about us and, and not very much about the athletes. Most athletes do not need advanced periodization. I have people asking me about, I have to look up the stuff they're asking me about auto-regulation and daily undulating periodization and all these things and think, wow, why don't we use any of this stuff? And I think we don't use a lot of this stuff because the reality is with our population of athletes that we don't need it. I think if you're a competitive power lifter, if you're a competitive Olympic lifter yourself or you're training them, some of that stuff might matter. But in general, I think we spin our wheels a lot with periodization when we can really just keep it simple. And so Michael Boyle was talking about there's definitely more applicable towards programming a strength and conditioning program, but at the same time, uh, I think that we can apply the same concepts towards exercise selection. I mean, I think about with Justin Magallanes, one of the previous guests that we had on the show, talked about some of his strategies for programming and simple, easy, and effective. And so the simpler that you can keep it, the more that you can help these athletes. And so I think back to what we discussed about social media and how sometimes we can get so wrapped up in what these professional athletes are doing and so you think about LeBron James doing a vertical jump with some bands attached to his hip or Mike Trout running some sprints with 135 pounds of a barbell on his back. I mean, some of these things are pretty fun to see, but at the same time, when you're talking about a young athlete, they might not have some of these really advanced athletic abilities as far as their motor control and their balance and their stability and their core strength, things like that, that where we can be sometimes jumping the gun a little bit and overstimulating these young athletes when we can just keep it really simple with some basic movements. But nevertheless, thank you for tuning in to the latest show of the KN Chats podcast. Please make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and on the iTunes Apple Podcast app. The show is also available on SoundCloud and you can find our social media content on Instagram and Facebook at KN Chats Podcast. Feel free to leave a comment on any of our pages and we'd love to hear from the community. Tell us about what you liked on the show, if there's any topics that you think we missed or any topics that you'd like for us to cover on another episode. If you know of any strength coaches or personal trainers, chiropractors, anybody who's in the health and fitness field who you think would be a great guest on the show, please uh, let us know, tag them into one of our comments and we will reach out to them, try to get them onto the show. Once again, thank you for listening and please stay tuned for more episodes. This is Eric Mojica signing off. Until next time, this is KN Chats.